Uh, Steve Grumbine, uh, co-founder of Real, Real Progressives, uh, who's doing a lot of uh, other things too uh, under the Real, Progress, Real Progressives uh, umbrella, uh, is with us. Uh, we've been having you uh, almost every Monday, and I think uh, really the conversations we're having aren't being had in many places. So uh, let's start with, you know, I wrote a Substack piece, Colin, if you could show the headline. Uh, I wrote a Substack piece, that's why I was late, um, that in today's progressive media climate uh, might actually be viewed as traitorous uh, or treachery because I actually gave credit to Bernie Sanders for something. Um, I, I, I think you can <clears throat> criticize people and while also not being so nihilistic that you do and you can focus on some victories, some positive things. Um, and I think there's a major positive thing going on right now uh, that Bernie is responsible for, Steve, and has r major ramifications, not only for now, but the future. And I think it also is tied to modern monetary theory. Oh, so yeah. let me just give people a background before I turn to you, Steve. Uh, this is from the political article. Uh, the headline is strange but true. Bernie takes a very pragmatic turn. So the headline doesn't sound so good, right? When we think pragmatic, we think incremental change, crumbs, all that. But if you actually read the story, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the beginning, Bernie Sanders gave Washington whiplash this week, and it was all part of his plan. Barely 24 hours after Vermont Senator publicly rejected a $3.5 trillion spending deal following a Monday meeting with President Biden, he turned around to tout it as the most transformational policy proposal in nearly 100 years. The shift in tone was a tactic Sanders used to coax moderate Democrats into going far higher than they might have otherwise felt comfortable. After he had insisted on shooting for the moon with a $6 trillion budget proposal, $3.5 suddenly looked reasonable. And uh, I want to move mm -hmm. down, Colin, if you can. Uh, Tim Kaine, who is as corporate <laughs> hack as they come, basically made the point that I think is accurate, quote, Bernie Sanders is like a human embodiment of shifting the Overton window, Kane said. We wouldn't be here without him putting out $6 trillion. So, you know, for all the haters, and I've criticized Bernie Sanders. I've criticized him for folding like a cheap tent to Biden. I mean, let's go down the list. He got zero substantial concessions from Biden in exchange for his endorsement. Uh, he said, <clears throat> vote, you know, let's get Trump out of there and then vote for Biden. And uh fight him on day one uh that didn't happen uh when biden you know preemptively uh folded on a 15 dollars minimum wage because of the, the parliamentarian bs reason <laughs> bernie didn't really push back so there's a lot to criticize bernie on but in this case 3.5 trillion is not incremental change it's it's the largest non-corporate bailout because <laughs> they've spent trillions for corporate bailouts it's the largest social spending package in, in modern American history. If you add what is not a done deal, but potentially 600 billion extra for actual infrastructure spending on roads, bridges, all that, it's 4.1 trillion. And Bernie, you know, he said on the campaign trail often when I covered him, you don't start out asking, you know, with asking for half a loaf, you demand the whole, the full loaf. So obviously Bernie Sanders knew yeah, we're not getting $6 trillion, but I'm going to huff and puff that I'm not going to accept anything less, knowing, well, 
they're not going to go for six trillion, but maybe they'll go for more for more than the typical one trillion uh, in additional spending. Three point five trillion dollars. I know a lot of naysayers and people who just don't care and they're all frauds can't see anything good anymore. But that like Steve, a decade ago, that number would have been laughed out of the Senate. Absolutely. I, I mean, I, think about this. Obama yeah. put up nine hundred billion to get us out of the worst financial collapse in US history in the Great Recession, bigger than the Great Depression. And he only put nine hundred billion up there, just as a point of reference for how huge this amount is. And I want to tip my hat to another guy that most people probably don't know this guy's name and they should get to know his name. And that's John Yarmouth, who is the head of the uh, budget committee. And he came out the other day on C-SPAN and gave a freaking clinic on the fact that don't listen to these people. We can, we create the money guys. We can pay for it. Period. I was, this is the head of the budget committee. Well, guess what? Randall Ray, who I had interviewed a few weeks back on Macro and Cheese, had been instrumental in planting these seeds in Congress over and over again. I'd love to know who to give credit to for giving Stephanie Kelton's book to him, but whoever it is, he referenced it straight up in the interview. And so with Bernie and now Yarmouth and all the other work going in, you I mean, I my track record of hating Biden is a mile long and my track record of not supporting the candidates Bernie ends up endorsing is equally long. So for me, I'm telling you right now, this is a huge win, huge win. So why I think this is important. First of all, let's just go through the actual legislation. Cause obviously you want to know what's in it. Colin, if you could bring up the uh, Axios story. So, proposed in it is extending the child tax credit. I think that's an incremental thing, but it's something. Um, senior Democratic uh, aide said the duration of each credit's enactment will be determined by c congressional scoring, whatever. There are uh, significant climate policies in here, uh, create 80% clean electricity and 50% economy-wide carbon emissions by 2030. I don't think that goes far enough at all, uh, but it's something, and remember, this 3.5 trillion does not mean the fight for more stops. So it's not all or nothing. You still need, we still need to pressure, shame, and uh, in some cases harass Congress to actually meet the moment. If you're, if you're noticing Germany is flooding, if you're noticing uh, the West Coast has floods, not to mention the extreme heat. Uh, in addition to uh, the climate proposals, uh, more funding for clean energy, clean en energy and vehicle tax incentives. Uh, by the way, China has dramatically offered uh, tax subsidies for electric vehicles to its citizens. Uh, keep uh, universal pre-K for uh, three and four-year-old children, childcare and community college, uh, increased funding for historically black colleges, um, expanding Medicare to include prescription, uh, to include uh, hearing, hearing, dental, and vision. Uh, reduce prescription drug costs and apparently you know it's not a done deal but there is talk of it being moved down to 60. um so those are the main things and i to be clear i think people know steve and i well enough to know this is not our you know utopia uh this is not in any way necessary uh meets the scale of the multiple crises but again 
without a progressive in the White House, without progressives having majorities in anybody, Bernie Sanders basically just forced a corporate Democratic Party to actually provide substantial investment. And I think this is important for a few reasons, Steve. First of all, first of all, um, just on the merits, what it achieves. Number two, uh, it, it isn't the Democratic Party who did it. It's Bernie. And as I, as I noted in my Substack piece, it helps progressives debunk multiple uh, myths and gaslighting and propaganda from the Democratic Party and the corporate media. Well, you know, obviously, major things have just changed. It, it, it doesn't matter whether I like the Democratic Party. And let me be clear. What we're talking about here is outcomes. I'm not talking about the party. The outcomes of what has just happened are irrefutable. I saw one comment, and I don't disagree with them. Let me be crystal clear. They said, if you accept less, you always take less or something to that effect, right? And my thoughts on this are that when you're in an impossible game, like, for example, if you know you don't have any support whatsoever in Congress other than three or four other people, and you can leverage whatever strength you have to get more, I think you should do that. And I think that that's what Bernie and and even, I mean, I was shocked to see AOC out there tweeting some tough language. Now, mind you, uh, I want you to stole my ne- You stole my next oh, thing. Go sorry ahead. about that. Go but, ahead, go ahead. Yeah, well, you could show it in a second. But the fact of the matter is, is that even AOC has come out and done some things. Now, I, you know, there's plenty of very legitimate criticism for these people they have not done what i'd like to see them do they have not been strong in the way that i'd like to see them strong however i've been there to kick them when they're wrong i want to be there to lift them up when they're right because i want to encourage that behavior i mean the alternative with them not doing this is is revolution but we don't have anybody ready for that so let's put that off the side I have looked around. There are no revolutionaries left in America. They're not. They're not. Will, they're not interested. They're not hungry for it. They can say what they want, but the minute tough gets going, they get going too. So at this point in time, we've got to look for the best we can do. Right. Now, that's not to say you had to vote for these people, but celebrate a win when you get one. And here is a win for sure. It's paradigm shifting. I mean, <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to pat Tim Kaine on the back, but he's absolutely right. Bernie Sanders is a walking talking Overton window shifting embodiment of change. And even though he always takes less because he, he's, he is incrementally, uh, you know, he's got a proclivity for incrementalism, but it's not incrementalism. Like that's what he wants. He just takes as much as he can get and keeps fighting. So to his credit, that score win, uh, big win for Bernie. And, uh, I'm not sure who else I'm ready to give credit to, but I'm definitely ready to give credit to Bernie Sanders. But we can't get to a point in politics or life that we no longer are capable of seeing any good and no longer could credit uh, people when they do good. There's another element here, Steve. You mentioned it. I want to show this AOC tweet. And let me tell you something. I've been very critical of her. So have you. Yep. The squad, to me, is a group of, uh, you know, weak tweeters. And I'm not doing jumping jacks that AOC tweeted something that signals hardball. But it is something. Colin, if you could show this tweet. AOC tweeted at the end of last week, House progressives are standing up 
if Senator Manchin and the rest of the Senate approve the reconciliation bill, then we will approve their bipartisan bill. But if they try to strip immigration reform, child care, climate action, then we're at an impasse. It's a no-go. So to me, listen, with AOC in particular, I understand people saying, I'll see it when, I'll believe it when I see it. Because there was a lot of cynicism attached to that tweet. But you can't have it both ways, folks. You can't rightfully bash her for going on Morning Joe and giggling along with them uh, that she's not doing anything. I mean, they literally said, you've been really holding your tongue against the Democratic Party. And she giggled along and said, why, thank you for noticing. Um, <laughs> but then if she's doing what you're, sa- what you're criticizing her for not doing, yes, it's a tweet, but it's public. She just put down a marker, folks. Now, it's, it's up to you to A, support her and the squad if they're actually going to play hardball on this and, if they, and shame them and, if need be, primary them if they fold on this too. But it's just, it's remarkable to me, and it really shows you, Steve, just how angry and frustrated progressives are. And this is Rightfully all so, by the way. What's that? Rightfully so, by the way. They, yeah, they I was going to say, right rightfully to so. Absolutely. doesn't make you bad because you, you've gotten into this cynicism and nihilist. But if you're criticizing these folks, whether it be Bernie and the squad, and I've been criticizing them for months for not playing hardball, for not going bold, for not actually doing anything anything close to politics 101, which is, yeah, say, I'm not voting for this unless you give me this. Um, and then when they're doing it, you're still not happy, then I don't really know if it's about the issues anymore for you. Maybe yeah, in your heart you think it is, but maybe it's just about being angry and well, being I, pissed off. I think there's a click, dude. I think there's a click. I think there is a, and this is what is so messed up about our movement. There's all these little micro clicks out there. Group A focuses on Syria only. They ignore MMT. They ignore everything else. And they're all important stuff, but they focus in this one little myopic area. And then anything you say that counters what that click tells them to think, it's over. You can, you can literally despise Bernie Sanders and despise AOC and despise the squad and not trust them for anything and despise Joe Biden and, and despise the Democratic Party and still realize that at this moment in time, they did something, even if you want to call it accidentally, they did something good. They're pushing for something good. And so even if you're a Green Party or independent, and, and they're still your representatives in your district, whether you voted for them or not. It's time to step up and be activists and push them and celebrate what they've done, not for their benefit, but for our benefit to make that the norm, to show that this isn't something that we support. I mean, it's just the way it's done. You don't get any brownie points for being out there just acting like some dude with like zits from like 17 years old and the hair greasy part of the side going, yeah, man, like totally like, you know, I don't know, man, like fuck AOC and stuff. You know, you, who cares, man? Just stop. You know, and also, just stop. Steve, we, we talk about psychology a lot. Colin, can you put the AOC tweet up, back up? We talk about psychology a lot. So listen, I think AOC is like a lot of progressives, particularly in Congress. They're a fire-breathing activist when they get out, and once they're in, they get hoodwinked into this, you know, it's a long game strategy. 
Uh, it doesn't mean they're corrupt. It just means they're very naive. Because I think in her case, and possibly the rest of the squad, they have been hoodwinked by Nancy Pelosi, their Democratic Party, you know, people on their committees and saying, you know, you got to form relationships, you got to play the long game, all this. And I think they've been hoodwinked. And that's why, in large part, they've pretty much done nothing. But, but it's human nature. If AOC, yes, it's a tweet. So I've seen the people, oh, Jordan, you know, tweets we could believe in. Okay, well, <laughs> she's publicly, whether it's through tweet or smoke signal, she's publicly saying it's a no-go. I'm not going to vote for it. So if she moves back on that, that's, that's really problematic for a politician. I mean, for a corporate hack, it's less, uh, less uh, prob problematic because they all, you know, moonwalk. But if you're actually a progressive, yeah, if you move back on your public word that you're not going to vote for it, that's hard. So the fact that she did this, I don't know, Steve, what's human nature? If she's putting herself out there that I'm going to play hardball, which we assume the squad, most of the squad would follow her. Well, if she's putting herself out there, what would make her stick to it more? People still calling her a sellout fraud, this and that, or people rallying around her? And again, it's not about AOC. I don't care. Replace her with anyone else rallying around the politicians that are publicly saying, yeah, yeah, we're not going to, we're not going to vote or go along if we don't get these X, Y, and Z in the bill. So yep. I, it's just, I don't, I understand why people are angry and frustrated, but at a certain point you have to kind of make up your mind because if you're going to criticize people for not doing X and then when they start doing it, you're still not happy, then they could do nothing. And Steve and I have talked, we're not only in belief, we don't only believe uh, these crises can be solved through electoral politics. It's just one of the major levers. But right now, we don't have a president in the White House. We don't, we don't have majorities in either body. Frankly, we don't really even have any leaders in our movement right now. That's so very true. Anything like a 3.5 trillion package that does expand and go towards po uh, policy priorities of ours is progress. And again, you take that progress and you join it with the ongoing movements, Sunrise Movement, um, hopefully a general strike sooner than later, uh, the March for Medicare for All. You don't just say, okay, we got these things, we could stop going for all of it. No, you do both. But I just, I think, you know, it's easy to criticize. It's easier to criticize Bernie, them. It's a lot harder to recognize, oh, this is a step in the right direction. Let's rally around them to get more. And also, when things are passed that end up being popular, it also pressures the Democrats to push for more of those things because, yeah, they care about keeping the money flowing, but they also care about keeping uh, power. The COVID relief bill, but for example, was wildly popular, the 1.9 trillion. So that gives them the drive and, polit and, and comfort politically that we could go a little further because these things are popular. Yeah, Jordan, I think the, the crowd needs to focus on when the debt ceiling fight is gonna be, okay? Debt ceiling is gonna come up. The debt ceiling is an artificial construct from the, it's a relic from the gold standard era that has no place whatsoever in any conversation anymore but it's it's a very real rule a construct that is used to stop any and all progressive legislation always always there waiting for us 
to have this fight. If you have chosen for whatever perverse reason to ignore MMT, now is your time to be a real activist, a real one, not a fake one, a real one. Learn this shit because when that fiscal cliff hits, you need to know that because that is how you're going to fight for the real big package, the six trillion package. That's how you're going to fight for a green new deal at like 12 trillion. That's how you're going to fight for reparations, folks, for like 12 trillion. That's how you're going to fight for universal, you know, education. And, and, you know, do you know that there is no right to an education in America right now? Literally, there is no federal right to an education at all right now. And so they're, you know, just adding dental care to the bill, just adding these things, all of these things could be taken away in a heartbeat if you don't understand that we can indeed afford it. And you don't in turn then pressure not only your Congress critters and your senators and your local reps, but pressure your other activists. Go to alternative social media accounts and pepper them. Demand they start talking about this. Don't let them get away with not talking about it. Because that's the only way this stuff makes sense. You can't just say, okay, oh, see, I'm going to drink a Slurpee now. Now go make it happen. Go make it rain and go back to being edgy and cool and, you know, whatever. I mean, Beavis and Butthead are over, man. It's time to get into the game. So I hope that folks do take that time because this whole John Yarmouth thing is huge. If you're not paying attention to anything else, probably didn't hear it on any of the other alternative media sites. You didn't hear it on mainstream media except for C-SPAN. So it's time to really elevate the important stuff so we can win. I, I, I'm telling you right now, I think it may be the most brutal failure of our movement to listen to Hillary Clinton cackle at us in 2016 and listen to all of them cackle at us in 2020 about how you're going to pay for it, Bernie pie in the sky. And people still, still didn't bother to learn this stuff. What the, what is wrong with you? Why not? Why, why would you snatch victory out of there so that you can lose it all? Why, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. What, it's just ridiculous. Guys, be effective. Be effective. This is it. This is where the rubber meets the road. Two weeks ago, well, actually almost three weeks ago, there was a viral video that came out because uh, Tucker Carlson put it on his show. And it was a woman who was inside a spa that's in Koreatown. It's a traditional Korean spa. So there is, a, you know, it's a traditional bathhouse. So she basically came out and started yelling at the staff saying that there was a man flashing his penis in the, uh, specifically, I think she was saying that it was the children's area of the woman's, of the dress room area uh, and it was only supposed to be women in there. So she had this whole video that he picked up um, throughout there. And for reasons I don't understand, you know, Glenn Greenwald jumped on the bad wagon. So flash forward, it's now been shown that uh, it's between the LAPD investigation, as well as uh, many journalists that have looked into it. This is probably all a hoax. Um, I, I can't say that that's hundred percent the case, but it seems to, to be the case. Having said that, um, some folks decided to do a pro-trans rally in front of the spa in support of their decision to, you know, not cave to this individual and to, and to hatred. And what happened was, is as they were protesting, we had a lot of outside agitators that started coming into this particular protest. Um, I saw somebody get stabbed. I saw another press member have uh, a guy came up behind this individual, um, and I can identify him. His name is Aaron Simmons. He's been active at many of these Trump rallies. 
he came in behind and he hit this press member as hard as he could with a, a lead pipe that he pulled out of his backpack and then ran off. Um, incidentally, he also managed to post the body cam footage that he was wearing and admits to doing it and basically says, I enjoyed uh, cracking this guy on the head. So I, why he would post that on the Internet is beyond me. <laughs> so I'm sure he will get at some point arrested for that. I'm. Anyway, but then it ended up there was a Malie and, and uh, an activist that I actually do know was stabbed in the leg um, by another individual who is, as of now, not identified because he was so covered up. Um, it's really hard to tell who this individual is. But it was very violent. Um, and I think in the aftermath of that, what I was really disturbed by is uh, the, the individual that was stabbed, the sheriff's department actually visited him, visited him in the hospital and accused him of inciting a riot which I cannot understand. This guy is a victim of a very serious crime. If that blade had hit his, uh, his femoral artery, he could have bled out there on the street. I, don't, I just can't even imagine what these cops were thinking doing that. Now, again, this was the sheriff's department, not the LAPD. Uh, anyway, so then this last Saturday, there was round two. Um, the, the right-wingers had decided that they were going to come in and stage an anti-trans protest. So a lot of QAnon folks, um, Arthur Shaper was there. He is the founder of Mass Resistance, which is a not only just anti-trans, anti anti-LBGTQ, uh, anti-immigration, sort of a John Tanton kind of follower guy. He showed up. Um, Base Spartan was there. Uh, folks know who Base Spartan is. His real name is John Toronto. He was uh, most famous for wearing that kind of Trojan outfit up in the Portland area uh, protest about a year ago. Even I think Vice Magazine did a piece on him. But he's a local down here in Southern California. So what's what's wild to me is everybody thinks, you know, California is this incredibly liberal, blue, progressive state. But we we harbor a lot of hate here in the state. We have a lot of neo-Nazi groups. We have a lot of... Um, just, you know, white nationalist kind of anti-everything sort of groups that proliferate here and a lot of fascism. So uh, it's not surprising to me that a lot of the January 6th folks that have now been uh, arrested and indicted are from California. And they, and they are folks that I have, you know, seen at protests and what have you. So I want to show uh, just some of the footage from uh, Saturday, which includes a uh, woman being, I mean, shot like right Point up blank. close. Uh, Colin, if you could play some of that.
Is this fucking Fallujah or Los yeah, Angeles? I cringe every time I see this. Um, yeah, I was standing right there, and I, I saw them pull out these less lethals. I think it's also important part of the conversation to know that currently the LAPD has an injunction against them for using less lethals. Uh, uh, per At the end of June, a uh, uh, judge ruled on this. So they're not supposed to shoot them at protesters within point-blank range. That's against the injunction. They're supposed to be uh, trained. A You have to be trained to use them, which is why you don't see all of the officers with these ammunitions now, only a few of them. But they're supposed to uh, shoot the ground. And what kills me is if you look in the video very slowly in the back, you'll see the, the uh, QAnon. I want to call them Trump cultists at this point because they're sort of in a cult. They've gone from Trump now to, you know, all of these other things, but they're not dispersing. This group is the same group that we've seen travel and agitate throughout the state. Um, but you, you can see them throwing. They're actually throwing water bottles at the LAPD from behind. And I caught some of that. But meanwhile, they're attacking um, the pro-trans individuals that I was standing next to at this particular point. And there's some other footage where I was on the Trump side, too. I tried to get a little bit of everything. But I, I, there was absolutely no reason for this officer to shoot that person. And you can hear them talking in the back. Uh, one of them says the one with the ponytail, uh, the one in all black. I mean, so they're clearly targeting somebody for some reason. It's not clear to me as to why that was. But regardless, it's inexcusable violence. I was shocked when they did it. You can hear me in the back saying that's not protocol. Um, and I later almost got arrested. So <laughs> they, they had me in the kettle and they would not let me go for a good 15 minutes. So to remind people, less lethal, less lethal is rubber bullets. Right. Uh, they're not less lethal. They're not. If you shoot someone close enough, you could kill them. Uh, I remember at Standing Rock, uh, a guy next to me was shot at point blank range and his scalp almost fucking flew off. Oh in a gaping... Uh, yeah, I don't want to say whole, but a gaping wound in his uh, forehead. I don't know. I don't think he died, but I don't know what happened to him. Um, Bertram Miller, Jordan, could you please ask Tina to explain the connection to these incidents that Glenn Greenwald and the trans community yeah, have sorry. to the issue? I actually can, and I'm sorry, I should have gone into more detail on that, not to be confusing. Um, so at the very first protest, you, there was a video that also went viral on Twitter. It was kind of taken out of consequence and, in my opinion, very inconsequential to the day. So a, a, uh, there were a lot of re religious bigots there. They were shouting things like, you're animals, you're going to burn in hell, uh, you know, very hateful rhetoric coming out of these folks. She was uh, with all of these uh, anti-trans folks saying very hateful things. So at that particular point in time, there had been so much violence already, and the police were not preventing any of it, really. At the first, at the second um, protest, you see them trying to separate the lines, right? At the first protest, that wasn't happening at all, which is why you had people getting stabbed and what have you. So uh, basically, there was a video of, of the pro-trans protesters chasing her away from where the trans people were standing in front of the spa. So you had trans protesters standing there with their signs, we love we spa, we support we spa, thank you, sort of thing. And these folks were basically trying to keep all of these other folks away from them because they felt at that particular junction it just wasn't safe. So this video, you see this woman uh, getting screamed at, yelled at, and chased out of town by a mob, sort of speak. And if you just see this, you know, 30 seconds of video, you think, my God, what the hell am I seeing? What I'm disappointed in with Glenn is, is he's a journalist. He knows better. Why would he not find out the context of that? Because I'm pretty certain if he heard the whole context and saw everything that happened that day, they, he wouldn't be saying the things that he was saying because he was name calling uh, 
several journalists like names, like childish names on his Twitter. It was really sad, actually. Why um, was he name calling them based on what? On, on them saying like, Glenn, you don't know what you're talking about. You weren't there. Like, because he was saying this this behavior was mobbish and inappropriate and a, and a bad way to represent trans rights. You know, that's, and he was going on and on about it. But I think, I don't know. I don't understand why he would do that. I mean, I feel like he's maybe even around Tucker Carlson too long. I'm saying it publicly. Well, I mean, the the mob <laughs> was responding to the anti exactly. trans actual exactly. mob. Exactly. So, whatever. Yeah. Exactly. And then I had people coming into my mentions like, well, where's the video of this woman? Because it was only like an edited version that Colin did. It was maybe 30 seconds. They're like, why is it only 30 seconds? I'm like, because it's really that inconsequential to what happened that day. Right. You guys want to make this the story, and I'm telling you, it's not the story. And I need to understand how folks like the Washington Post ran a piece on this and didn't even mention the stabbings. How do you run a piece on what happened at We Spa that day and not mention somebody got stabbed? And there were two people. The guy also, incidentally, did a friendly fire stab. I, I don't know what else you would call this. As one of his comrades is pulling him out of the melee, he uh, turns around and stabs her in the arm. So... She also was hurt, even though they were friends. And then there was video, body cam video, video of that posted. They were back up at MacArthur Park, and he's, like, giving her first aid for what he did. 